This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm going to introduce you to Jason Reed, a partner at CEO Coaching International, where he coaches CEOs on how to be successful. But he isn't here to talk about that. Our topic today is how to prevent teen suicide. You see, a week after his son Ryan's 14th birthday, Jay's son took his own life. Here to talk about that, his experiences, and his mission to end teen suicide by 2030 is Jay Reed. Welcome to the program, Jay. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you having me having me here today. Um, Jay, I always I always uh, have my guests start off um, by answering one question, which is, uh, "Tell me, where does your story begin?" So, uh, wh- where does your story begin, Jay? Well, um, unfortunately, my story begins on March twenty first, um, four years ago this March, where my wife and I celebrating her birthday and we got a text from our son right saying I love you and goodbye we were in Mexico at the time um, he had it all planned so that you know there's nothing we could do my mother-in-law was in the house with my son Kyle and they found him and then the police came and the ambulances Sorry. And then we had five days in the hospital with him until he finally passed. So, I always think of, it's gonna get easier telling this, but it never is. So the thing, the thing to keep in mind about all this is that I didn't understand what he was going through and I didn't see it. I thought he was a grumpy teenager. I had three others. I thought they were grumpier. He hid it from us. Or I didn't know, and, and I didn't know what to look for. I didn't know the signs. I've never been a guy who's been depressed myself. My wife doesn't suffer from depression. And so we just didn't think about it. But meanwhile, Ryan was suffering quietly to himself and hiding it. So after that happened, I realized that I didn't want his death to be in vain, and I wanted to spend my time trying to figure all of this out. So I am that guy, right? I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I built businesses. I coach CEOs. I get stuff done. 
And I looked at this and said, how can, what can I do? So I formed an organization called ChooseLife.org, which is not lost on me now that that was the old anti-abortion site back in the day. Um, didn't realize that when I paid the $10,000 for the site, didn't realize why they wanted $10,000 for the site. I just thought that's what I wanted people to do was to choose life. And I decided to keep it and remarket it as something different. I did a TEDx talk right out of the gate within six months. I did, I created a movie called Tell My Story, um, Tell My Story, which is Ryan's words to me in a sticky note. And as, as you went through that, that journey um, of sort of processing, uh, you know, the loss of Ryan um, and, you know, wanting to be a resource for, for other parents um, so that they don't find themselves in the situation that, that your family found itself in, um, what did you learn? What did you learn about the, the contributing factors to, to teen suicide? Well, I learned a whole bunch of stuff. Um, during the process of doing the movie, the TEDx talks, the goal, all the stuff I've done, talking to parents and talking to kids, I realized that there's a lot more of it out there than I thought. And if we move this whole conversation, Mike, away from teen suicide, because the chances of your child dying of suicide, you're right, it's, it's, it's you know, it's probably not going to happen. It's 7,000 kids, depending on what the data comes out with the newest. It's on the rise every year, right? It's the highest it's ever been. But the chance of having your child, probably not going to happen. But here's a scary stat. 30 to 40% of kids out there are suffering from depression and anxiety. And that's a precursor to suicide. Those 30 to 40% of kids, it's, that's no way to live, right? Constantly upset, stressed, sad. And 85% of those kids are undiagnosed. And it's been worse since the pandemic, a lot worse. You can see it yourselves and your kids, right? They've been locked up in their rooms. They have to wear masks when they go to school. And I'm not an anti-COVID guy. I believe that COVID is a bad thing and it does exist. I believe that we have to do, we have to get vaccinated and I have, we have to wear masks. Um, to your viewers who don't believe that, I respect your choices, I don't agree with them. But it's harming our kids. There's no, there's no doubt that all of this lockdown, lockup, whatever you want to call it, has had taken a toll on our kids. It's taken a toll on all of us. And mental health issues and distress is an all-time high. So it was, am I right in believing it was sort of uh, heading in the wrong direction? I mean, even before the pandemic in terms of, you know, depression, anxiety being on the rise, um, you know, amongst everybody, but specifically amongst teens. Well, if you think about it, Mike, I'm 54 years old. And when I grew up, none of this stuff existed the way it does now, right? So when the phone rang at my house, my father answered it when I was 14. And he decided, if we were able to talk to the person, <laughs> right? That was his call. And how long we were allowed to talk for. There was three TV channels, if there was even that. There was no world news, CNN, 24 hours a day. I didn't watch the news, I was 14, I played with my friends. I didn't read the paper, I was 14. 14 year olds didn't read the paper back then. So I had no idea what was going on, right? There was no social media, there were no computers, there was nothing. Kids were kids. If you were on a sports team, 
you were on a sports team, but you weren't on a travel team and a sports team. Maybe some of the hockey guys were because I grew up in Canada, but it wasn't the same pressure. Phone never rings over. Anyways, there wasn't, so there, there was, wasn't the same pressure. It was all kids were kids, right? We all just played. You're, you're, I'm probably older than you are, but you probably get a sense of what I'm talking about. Right? Oh, sure. And by the way, I thought your dad was going to answer that phone when it was ringing before. <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. Yeah. Um, so you take a look now and, and, oh, and we didn't worry about getting into college. And we didn't worry about how much it cost because it wasn't that expensive. And you didn't have to have a scholarship and you have to worry. You didn't have to have a 4.0 to get to a, to a, a UC school in California, for example. Whereas now you have to have a 4.2, 4.4, whatever you have, right? So there's so much added pressure on kids now than there was. It's no, it's very clear to me why, how we got here. Because the same brain that these kids have at 14, I had at 14. And I can't even imagine having to deal with all the pressure they have. And we're not even getting into the fact that, you know, the, the, the social media pressure behind being on Instagram, being on Facebook, um, always trying to look your best. That's really where we're at. When you think about what's going on, it's like kids are under a whole bunch of pressure. And by the way, I'm not blaming parents. It's not about that. Kids put a lot of pressure on themselves. You're constantly hearing about kids who have to have the best grades, have to be on top of this, have to do this. I'm in a different time. Yeah. So, am I making any sense? A total sense. I mean, it brings me to, you know, I started my career in interactive marketing when, when that was just a new thing, right? We used to call it new media. And, you know, we were building these technologies that were, you know, built on the information superhighway. And, and boy, wouldn't it be great if people are informed um, of, about everything kind of going on in the world at, at the push of a button or the, or the view of a screen? Um, during this time, the 24 hour news cycle became a thing. There were, you know, 24 hour cable news networks popping up, you know, MSNBC becomes a thing, you know, joining, you know, media with technology. And, you know, I can't help but, but wonder, um, if, if that was all just one big giant mistake, um, in terms of, uh, I mean, maybe the intention was positive, but the outcome, you know, certainly not, not so much. Well, even as an adult, right? So you think about it, if I asked you right now, here we are sitting in a world where Russia might invade the Ukraine. Have you thought about that lately? Mm -hmm. Have you wondered what that's going to mean to the world? Probably have, right? Right, sure, yeah. So what, and, and we can process that and go, okay, well, what's going to happen? What's that going to mean? If I'm a 12-year-old kid right now and I'm saying Russia's going to invade the Ukraine and what does that mean? It's all over the news and what does that mean? And then there's climate change and oh my gosh, COVID's going to get us? The anxiety levels are just like, I don't know, they're just rising. Right. And, you know, part of it, um, and it's, it's, well, not part of it, but it's not lost on me that, you know, things like controversy and bad news and fear just mean more eyeballs for, for different media outlets. So if, you know, if, if, if they want to have more stickiness, um, you know, to their, you know, social media, to their, to their you know, blogs or whatever, um, you know, you're not looking at good news. You're looking at, you know, news that's, that's going to instill a little bit of fear in you. That, that's what I see anyway. No, I, I don't disagree with you. And so as adults, we have a hard time dealing with it. Our kids are even more challenged with it. So this gets to, so we all kind of understand, like, how we're kind of here. 
right? This is the spot. Yeah. The more important conversation, what do you do about this whole situation? Like what, how, can you, how can you help your kids? How can you help each other? Um, one, of the, one of the main things that I've learned out of this whole thing is I don't, I'm, again, I don't suffer from depression, is when I'm trying to explain it to people now, because there's a lot of people I talk to who don't understand it either. And I say, look, I live in Southern California. Right now, sorry about the rest of you, but there's not a cloud in the sky, right? It's sunny degrees outside. And yes, it's February 3rd or whatever, or February 7th. Um, and if I was sitting here with someone who's depressed, all they're going to see in that sky is clouds. And there's nothing I can say that's going to change their mind and convince them there's no clouds. Because that's all they see. Nothing I can say is going to change that. And if I try to change it, if I try to tell them, look, there's no clouds up there, you're wrong. All they're going to do is shut down and not talk to me. And that's the worst thing that can happen when you're dealing with somebody who's depressed. All I can do is say, tell me about your clouds. I get them to talk about them. Why do they exist? What do they look like? How do they make you feel? Do your clouds ever go away? Do they come back? What makes them come back? All you can do is ask questions and get them to talk. Yeah. And explain it to you. Right. You can't yeah. try to fix someone who's depressed. Right. I mean, try, trying to convince someone not to see the clouds and to see the to see the sun or the blue sky, you know, it, it's pretty much invalidating their experiences. And that's it's 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 the key to getting them not to open up to you um, kind of going forward. And it's so counter to who we are parents, right? Because when they when they're sad and they say, um, you know, I broke up with my boyfriend, my girlfriend, I don't feel like it's worth being here anymore. We're like, what are you talking about? You're 12, you're 13, you're 14, you're 22. There's so many other people out there. You're such a wonderful human being. You can't, you can't think that. We want to save them. We want to protect them. And the unfortunate thing that I learned is in our, and by the way, I probably did the same thing to Ryan, right? I can't remember specific things, but I, I'm sure I said to Ryan, hey, why are you so grumpy today? Look around, right? Do you see where you live? Do you see how you live? Do you see how other people live? Do I have to take you down to Mexico and see what it's really like to have a tough life? I'm sure I said that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But to him or to someone depressed, all they see is that the life they're leading is terrible in their mind. And, you're, and when you try to fix them, you drive them away. What I've learned, and I started off with ChooseLife.org is the whole idea that, you know, there was different ways to solve this whole problem. And, you know, we're trying to raise awareness while everybody's aware. So that problem is, we checked that box. Everybody's aware that suicide exists. Congratulations, everyone. But it's moving in the wrong direction regardless. Now, maybe it would have been worse, but it's still bad. If we're going to end it, if we're going to get, and when I say end it, bring it back to where it was when I was a kid, where the numbers were so small, it was not something we really talked about. Right? It's so different now. If we're gonna do that, we can't rely on the schools. We can't rely on the doctors. We can't rely on the government. We have to, and we can't rely on therapists because there's not enough of them. Parents have to own their kids' mental health themselves. The way we own our kids' physical health, that's the only way we're gonna do this. Does that make sense? 
It does. So how do you own, you know, parent to parent, how do you help, um, you know, take ownership of your, your children's mental health? Well, when you think about it, um, if your child has a stomachache and they have a pain, what do you do? You ask it, questions, right? Why does it hurt? When does it hurt? Where does it hurt? Tell me what it feels like. You think about things. You think, what, what did you eat last? Okay, if it looks bad, that you know, I touched there. Let's get you to the doctor. Let's have them check you out. We own that stuff, right? Ryan had Crohn's disease. We own that. We we had him in every doctor and every therapy and all that kind of stuff. We need to think about their mental health the same way. You need to ask them how they feel. When you think they're just being a grumpy teen, maybe they are, maybe they're not, but you have to ask, you have to find out. They have to feel like they can open up to you, that they can talk to you, that they want to talk to you. I get calls all the time. I was talking to a lady two weeks ago, and she called me up to tell me that her her 26-year-old had attempted, or was going out through, had not attempted, was going to attempt. In fact, he came to her and said, I want to go take my own life, and here's how I'm going to do it. And she said, she was freaked out, of course. She's been dealing with this for a long time with him. And she got him to the doctors, they got him to the hospital, they got him some more therapy, they got him the, what he needed. He'd gone off his medication, he had done the things, he decided he was going to try to fix this through med meditation and, and cleaner living, which might have worked, but it didn't in this case. And she's like, I don't know what else to do, I don't know what to do. I said, you did it right. He came to you. You're doing the right thing. If they're coming to you and they're talking to you, if they want to tell you they're sad, they want to tell you they're thinking about doing something bad, then you're doing it right. When they don't talk to you, that's the problem. Right. Right. So if if some if someone um, has created an atmosphere in their household of you know openness. Um, of sort of not being judgmental. I mean, are, are those like sort of the building blocks to, to sort of establishing, you know, an environment where, where they can come to you and, and talk about this stuff or, or like what else goes into sort of creating that atmosphere? So again, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. I'm just a guy who's gone through this and, and, and spent a lot of time trying to figure it out and talk to a lot of people. I'll tell you some things that are not the right thing to do, right? Well, let me talk about what is the right thing to do. Creating an environment where you're, you're a little more transparent with your kids, where they don't put you on a pedestal, where they know that you have bad days too. For example, I showed up the wrong way. I showed up as a guy who built these companies, who coached CEOs, who was an Iron Man and a black belt and, and written eight books and did all this in my life. I never told my family that I'd also failed at 13 companies that I just never really talked about. They only know about the ones that I succeeded at. I never told them that, you know, I'd almost been bankrupt two or three times. I never told my kids how scared I would be at that, those things. I never talked about being bullied as a kid. So, I did that because as a 54-year-old guy, I thought that's what I was supposed to do to protect my family, not share any of that stuff with them, not be vulnerable with them. They should see me as I have my act together. 
Well, I don't think that's the right thing to do. I think letting your kids know that there's good days and bad days. Now, you don't have to scare them with what's going on in your life today. Hey, I think I'm going to lose my job tomorrow. But being a little more vulnerable enough to know, yeah, today was, I had a sad day today. I just didn't, it wasn't a good day for me. I was upset about something. Right. So they can see that it's normal and it's okay to be that way, right? Ryan never saw that. So what did Ryan see? What did Ryan think? And this is only, I guess, on my part is that it must be me. My life sucks and my dad has his life together. together. Everything's always perfect for him. It must be me. Right. Therefore, there's something wrong with me. I wish I could go back and redo that. Right. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like there's, there's a, a fine line between like, being a friend to your kids um and and but and and like showing that hey you're not perfect you know so i think i think some parents make the mistake of just being like their kid's best friend um which i don't think which i i think that can that can lead to like sort of opposite problems as well but then there's this hey my dad's superman or my mom is superwoman um if if they can do it all why can't i do it all and you know kids with their 12, 13, 14, 18 year old brain. I mean, I have three 19 year olds at home and, you know, they, um, you know, they, and I, I, you know, they, they've had their own struggles. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you know, I think what you're saying just strikes such a chord in me is that, Hey, you know, you're not Superman. Don't pretend to be, um, by just showing them, there were days that I would come home, you know, as a self-employed individual, like having lost a project that I was up for that I thought was going to happen where I would just, I wouldn't talk about it, but my behavior would suggest that I was very angry, you know, or I was sure. nervous about, you know, what was going to happen um, in, in this quarter or this month. Um, but, you know, in hindsight, and, and I've kind of learned to, to do this is just kind of share more. And this is my, my own therapeutic process but kind of share more of what my fears are and 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 that it's okay to you know show that you're not you don't have all the answers and that you're not perfect um i mean i, I certainly learned that lesson um kind of going going through my own journey but yeah and, and that's what i think a lot of us mess up on is we want to we want to we want to protect our kids we want to make sure they think that everything's gonna be okay and the reality is it's not always okay and there's we we need to make them a little more resilient you're gonna break up with your girlfriend you're gonna break up with your boyfriend life's gonna suck sometimes and we give give them the the tools to help them through those things without trying to fix them right but the main thing is just having them you have to be your own you have to somewhat be your own kid's therapist you have to be your spouse's therapist because you know what there's not enough therapists out there if you try to get therapy right now it's hard. There's lineups. Some of the best ones are taken. They're not all great. You have to connect with somebody too, right? I mean, it's, it's challenging. But we have to be each other's therapists. And a therapist is, can be as simple as someone who listens and asks questions. Because that's what a lot, a lot of it is, right? You go to a therapist, and I never knew this until I started doing it myself. They ask you questions. You talk. They ask you more questions based on what you said. And then you just talk for an hour, and they didn't tell you anything. But you feel better because you, they, you talked about stuff. Right. You can be your own kid's therapist. Now, here's the tricky thing. It's all about timing. Because sometimes I hear, like, I, I've been on a podcast like this or two, and some, someone will go, I'm going to run right into that room, and I'm going to talk to them. And they're going to tell me what's on their mind. 
and that doesn't work that well. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. I mean, how many times have we all ran into that room and said, you need to talk to me? And they yelled at us and they swore at us. And they told us to get out of their room and blah, 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 blah. And then we get all defensive and say, and then we think, well, look, it, I own this house. I paid for everything in this room. Everything is mine. And you're going to talk to me because I want you to talk to me. And I'm scared I want you to talk to me. And we forget that in their world, that little space is the only thing they have. That's all they have, right? That, that little space, that little bit of privacy is the only thing they feel is theirs. And we all need that. We all need that little kind of place where we can cocoon. Yeah. So it's not the best place to talk to them. You've got to find the time. And you all know what it is, right? We, you all know that there's certain times when your kids are just open to talking. Right, Mike? You, 19, kids are 19 years old. There's, there's times you probably, each one likes to talk to you at different times, right? They're more open at different times. That's the time you've got to capitalize on going deeper and asking more questions when they're comfortable because being a parent's inconvenient. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, in my household anyway, um, there's some interesting dynamics that happen where, you know, one of my daughters is we have two girls and a boy. One of them is much more comfortable going to my wife um, to talk about things. And case in point, I mean, the first boyfriend breakup. You know, that was um, I mean, I thought the world was ending when that happened. I mean, we all we all kind of felt that um, that that sort of emotional tidal wave in the household. But so she'll she'll go to um, my wife, my uh, my son will go to my wife for for certain things. Then my other daughter comes to me for certain things. So it's I find it interesting how um, I guess we, we all have different relationships with with our kids. But even within the household, the dynamics are are you know, I, I guess they're not exactly linear. <laughs> no, they, they, there's, there's nothing easy about being a parent. I mean, that's, I, mean, I, I still, I have, you know, a 25 year old, a 22 year old, and a 19 year old. And they're all out of the house, but apparently as of today, one's back. And he's back because he was having a challenging time. I said, you gotta come home. Yeah. It's, there's, there's nothing easy about what we do. No, you know, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say it's, uh, I, 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 I tell this story when I do some public speaking events, I say, you know, people all, you know, you you often hear the phrase, you know, there's no such thing as a stupid question. And I'm like, I, I think, I think there is such thing as a stupid question because when people would come up to me and they'd hear that I have triplets, they'd, they, they'd ask me a stupid question, which would be something like, was it hard having triplets? And I'd say to them, um, I went from having zero kids to three kids in the span of three minutes. And, you know, I became a father of three um, without having any, without having had any parenting experience up until that point. You know, there's no instruction manual that comes, you know, when, when, when the kids are delivered, you know, there's no test. I mean, you have to take a harder test to become a, a licensed driver in this country than, than you do to become a parent. Um, there's, there's no instruction manual and nothing anyone can ever say to you can prepare you for what you're about to undertake. The best you, the best you could have um, was a good role model from your own parents or extended family. Um, but I think that's the best we get in terms of in terms of how to be a parent. And a lot of us didn't have those great role models as parents. Right. 
Right. Fair enough. And our parents didn't have to deal with 24 hour news cycles and all the pressure of your time earlier. Yeah. And Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and everything else they have to look at. And we should spend a minute or two on that. It's like, as a parent, you need to think about how, like the genie's out of the ball. If you gave them a phone, if they have a TikTok account, they have all these things, that's fine. I'm not saying don't, but you need to watch them. You need to talk to them. You need to educate them. You need to have a conversation about what is real or what is not. Because yeah. all they look at all day is all their friends having great lives and making their lives aren't the same. All the beautiful people on Instagram and I'm ugly. I mean, that's hard enough on adults. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, we go on to, you know, we're old, so we go on to Facebook. And um, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you, I mean, I see people posting stuff on Facebook about their, let's say, spouses, right? Happy birthday to the man of my dreams. We couldn't do it without you. We love you so much. And I know for a fact that she's having an affair. They're interested for divorce. You know, <laughs> like that they are both talking to attorneys and, uh, you know, things that they, they got retainers are involved. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that's happening with us. I mean, and certainly with kids, you know, they, they're still, their brains are still forming. You know, what, what your brain isn't fully formed until you're what, like 25 or something like that. Um, you know, my wife would argue that, hey, I'm 47. My brain's not fully formed yet, but. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, same thing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we, but we kind of get the difference, but our kids don't. I mean, my daughter, one of them will, will, will engage us with, with conversations on current events based on what she's learned on TikTok. <laughs> I'm like, Grace, where, where did you learn this? She's like, well, I saw it on TikTok. And I'm like, um, there's a good chance that that's not true. Um, but, but they also see, they also see the conditioning. They, they see the, the highly targeted advertising and they see, um, you know, the, these idyllic stories, you know, from, you know, people they know and people they don't know, but that's all having an impact on, on them as well. And, and what their perception of, of the world is. And there could be some dissonance between what they're personally feeling and what they see as reality based on social media. Well, and if you think about it, right, just the whole news, news in general, like, it's so hard to tell the truth anymore. What is real? What is not I mean, it, it, for every article you want to find about what, how COVID has had this impact on society, there's another article saying the exact opposite. Oh, Written yeah. by somebody who's supposedly an expert, right? I was like, I'm, I'm like, what? I mean, if, if guys like you and I struggle to figure out what the world's going through, what the hell does a 15-year-old or 20-year-old do? Right. And then you take a look at how hard it is for, and the spectrum's crazy these days, right? I get calls on a, from kids, parents of kids are 10, 11, 12 that are having depression issues and attempting and, and it's like, oh my God. And then you get this group of kids all the way up the spectrum. They get young adults and they're in their 20s that are just having a real hard time because you know they're working from home now and they don't have the social life they used to have and life's not what they thought it was going to be. And the expectations on them are so high, or at least in their own mind, how they were going to be rich by X point in time, or they missed out on the Bitcoin bubble or whatever it might be, right? But they're not, it's just living, there's so many people living in a depressed or anxious state now compared to where it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. It's just, 
seems different. I mean, when you look back when you were a kid, there were sad kids, but there wasn't the, the level, I think. I mean, what do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, there was, you know, there was, I mean, I remember somebody I dated in high school. Um, you know, she uh, she had to go away for a little while. I had no idea that that anything was kind of going, you know, wrong with her. I mean, I knew she had a tough home life. But I mean, that was the the exception, not the rule, um, you know, and, and part of it is, you know, we didn't you know, we didn't broadcast things. We didn't hear things as much as we do now because we do have access to so many different channels of information. And we walk around with these things in our pocket that basically tell us, you know, um, you know, everything, you know, all, all day long. Um, but no, we, we, we also had a different culture back then. You know, I think there was, um, you know, certainly um, we were outside more, you know, we weren't, we did things in groups. We, we didn't, um, we didn't have so much alone time. You know, a kid these days can, can have everything they need for entertainment in their bedroom, um, you know, and, and not have to leave the house. We had to go to the movies. We had to, you know, we had to go to a, a video store. You know, we, we, we actually had to do things, you know, for, for entertainment. When, when we wanted to play sports, we went outside and did it. We weren't doing it on screen. Esports is something that somebody really has to explain to me because I don't understand that as an industry. Um, or, or, or Twitch, that wherever you watch other people play video games. I mean... I liken it to watching other people like go fishing. Like I don't understand. Like I, I get, I get bored fishing, like, but watching other people go fishing, forget about it. Watching other people play video games. I don't, I mean, it's the thing. Right? People it's are a, making money thing. off of it, but I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. But the culture, the culture is so completely different from what it was when we were growing up. But that's the, but that's the world they live in. And then all that screen time and all that stuff just doesn't help. Yeah. It just doesn't. And, right. But being there to have the conversation and talk about it, being right. there as a parent, as a spouse, as a friend, to look someone in the eye and go, there's something off today. Tell me what's going on. You're not yourself. I want to listen. How many times do we look at people and interact with them in a day and go, that person's sad, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to brush that aside because you know, we got stuff to do. Yeah. We, we, we have to stop doing that, right? It's not just about kids. It's about adults. It's about yeah. our friends. Oh, I, I, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I, uh, every now and then I will make a call to somebody who I haven't spoken to in a while just to mm -hmm. see how they're doing. And um, this past summer I went, I, I used to run cross country in high school and I was, I was running, uh, I was doing some trail running this summer at, at the park where where we used to, where we used to train. So I called a buddy of mine who I used to run with and, um, I said, Hey, I just got back from Waveney and, uh, you know, I, um, I was thinking about you, you know, when I was on the trails and, you know, he's like, Oh my gosh, I, I, I'm so grateful that you called today. I needed to hear, you know, a friendly person's voice. Um, and then we got into a whole long conversation of, um, you know, things going on in his life and then, you know, he's facing some challenges and, but just that, that simple act of, of making a phone call, um, like turned his day around. And there have been times where, you know, I know that somebody I know is having a bad day and, and it's, it, it takes a lot of, 
I don't even know if courage is the right word, but to, to actually go up to somebody and say, hey, do you need to talk? Um, we're not good at that as as a, a culture, but um, we have to be better at that because that that could make all the difference in the world to someone's life. Well, and I would challenge all of us that are in leadership, leadership positions. I, I took, uh, we got our salespeople together and our VPs for one of our companies in Las Vegas uh, a week and a half ago. And I sat in the VP meeting, it was like 14 people, 15 people, and I said, this, you know, I got, you guys seem a little, I mean, you're happy because you haven't been together for two years, but it seems a little heavy in here. Tell me what's going on. And I started hearing the stories, right? And I've always been asking because I want to ask, but it's different because we haven't all been together in person for a while. And they're just, everybody's got all this stuff going on and it's heavy. And I said, look, let's spend the time talking about it. Whatever you need, you need help, you need someone to talk to, you need some time, whatever you need. I've been saying the same thing since COVID started, well, for a while now, but it was funny. It's like, they just wanted to talk. And I brought that same conversation when all the salespeople showed up and the salespeople said, let's just talk about what's been going on and how you guys feel. Now, I felt like I've been doing that on Zoom for the last two years, right. but it's, it doesn't translate the same, right? Seeing them in person. And the feedback I got after the meetings is that the best part of both those days of meetings was the conversation about mental health. Kind yeah. of the open conversation, the open conversation about mental health where they were all able to share, well, I've been feeling this way or I've been feeling that way and, and feeling like it was okay to talk about it. And it wasn't taboo to talk about it. Right, and that's, that's and a that's tricky the same thing. thing. Yeah, I, I was just gonna observe that that, you know, when you talk about kind of you in the household kind of being Superman and, and not talking about those failures or becoming, getting close to bankruptcy, um, you know, as a, as a leader in an organization, you know, your, your, your people might be thinking, gosh, I can't look like a, a softy in front of the boss. Um, so almost, you almost have to model that behavior for them. Is that right? Well, they all know my story. So for me, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's, they, yeah, it's yeah. probably easier for me, Yeah, but they need to see that the same vulnerability. It's just because I think we, we somehow, especially men, especially men, my age, kind of match vulnerability up with weakness. And I don't think the two are the same. Because I can tell you now that I am a lot more vulnerable, I'm definitely not weak. No one would ever assume that because I'm alive with my son, that I'm weak in any way. Because I, that's not how I show up every day, right? I still show up as a really tough guy, but I am more vulnerable than I used to be. And I think people, respect that more as opposed to the guy who always just actually he's got his act together and your family needs to see that your friends need to see that your spouse needs to see that it's not it's not a sign of weakness yeah so you know i'm sure there's there's people listening who are kind of nodding their heads um you know to to a lot of the stuff that you're saying where, where can people go um, to find more resources on this? I mean, I know, you know, you mentioned the film before and, and chooselife.org as a website, but um, well, why, don't you, why don't you just talk about those properties for a little bit, the, the website as well as yeah, the I mean, film. look, if you, want to learn, if you want to learn more about the stuff I've done, if you go to chooselife.org and go into um, more about Jay, there's, there's a TEDx talk called The Hot Lava Talk that talks about the differences between us growing up and how Ryan grew up, the things I've learned along the way about the parents Four parents. There's a goal cast I did to dads in, in uh, Montreal, Quebec. They did a really good job on that. 
Um, I think that's been seen like eight or nine million times by different people. Um, and the, the film, Tell My Story, which you, it's, there's a link on the website. It's also tellmystoryfilm.com. Or you just Google Tell My Story Film and it's going to pop up because it's on different sites. That's a good place to, if you want to sit and have a conversation with your kids, and a lot of people are doing this, they'll sit, they'll watch the movie with the kids. And that'll spark a conversation with mental health. Because it's me interviewing parents, talking to kids that have gone through this, and just trying to find out what happened. And not necessarily what happened to Ryan, but what's happening to kids today. And that's a great tool, and that's why I did the movie, where you can learn, um, spark a conversation. Now, in terms of other stuff on the internet, um, you know, I wish I could say, if you just go here, it's gonna solve all your problems. I'm definitely talking to lots of people who are building different things that they hope to solve the problems. There's actually a lot of VC money going into this space to try and build out tools for parents and for around anxiety and depression and everything else. Um, nothing I'm going to say right now if you just go here, but if you Google anxiety, depression, kids, you're going to find a whole bunch of stuff you, you can look at um, that will hopefully help you. I just don't have anything I'm going to fully recommend at this point in time. Yeah. All right. Well, Jay Reed, thank you uh, so much for spending some time chatting with me and, and uh, talking to the audience about uh, your story, as well as, you know, how we can do a better job at sort of, um, addressing anxiety and depression uh, and not just kids, but, but, uh, but really in all of us. Well, thank you for having me on the show, Mike, and uh, I wish everybody the best.